1: Hello and welcome to Star Trek comic book review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 26 for January 6th, 2011. The numbers are getting so high though, it sounds like a science fiction year that's someplace in the future. 2011. The year we made contact. You know, it just sounds like some kind of science fiction thing.
0: Well, what was the year that uh, Lost in Space was supposed to happen? Because wasn't that like I think that... Recently? I think,
1: I think I think it was uh, actually in the 1900s, like 1985 or 1990-something. Ni- or I, th- I don't even think it was past 2000. Oh, yeah, it
0: happened in 1997. October 16th, 1997. You looked it up. The, the Jupiter two was lost. That's...
1: Hey, do I know or what?
0: Yeah, so we're not nearly as advanced as we were supposed to be.
1: Oh, are you kidding? We never are. It's like, oh, I mean, where's the flying cars? Where the, are the flying cars? And the jetpacks. Well, jetpacks exist. They're just not very practical. <laughs> what, what, what are we here for? Aren't we here to review comic books?
0: We're going to read some comic books today. Today we're going to go over... Uh, again, we're still in the um, Star uh, post-Star Trek The Motion Picture era. This is our third episode of that. And we're going to cover the comic strip number four, which is titled Double Bluff, which was released between May and June of 1980, Mm -hmm. and we have Star Trek uh, The Marvel Series number seven, which was released in October of 1980, and we have DC Comics uh, volume one, issue number 19, uh, that was released in October 1985, which... They had like a little one off episode where they suddenly went back into the post Star Trek to motion picture era, and we're gonna review it here cool
1: and of course that's one that is named the title is Chekhov's choice
0: is special because uh the writer was is somebody that that some people might know
1: and who's very close to the uh character of uh of Chekhov
0: yeah, what's his name, Walter koning. Yeah, I
1: think so. I think so. The actor that played Chekhov actually wrote this particular comic book. So something to look forward to, wouldn't you think?
0: I would look forward to it, so we're saving it for last.
1: Exactly. That's going to be at the end.
0: (laughs) All right, so first off, we will go through the Marvel issue number seven.
1: Yes. Tomorrow or yesterday. Okay, so... um, the creative team on this one is uh, Tom DeFalco did the script. Uh, Mike Nassier uh, is the penciler. Inker, Klaus Jansen. Letterer, Ray Burson. The editor, who's, who's, who's labeled as the captain, is Louise Jones. And Fleet Admiral, who I assume is editor-in-chief, is Jim Shooter. Uh, and if you didn't mention, this guy, this guy came out October of 1980... Marvel tomorrow or yesterday. Cover shows Kirk and Spock's heads next to each other in the center of a strange alien with arched arms over them. The enterprise is below them and and to the left, uh, Scotty is looking at his glowing hands. Later we find out that uh, also uh, there are three figures of Kirk. Spock and McCoy off to the left of, of the cover and later we find out that those uh, three figures are actually statues. The inside page has a single panel with the Enterprise filling it up. The letter boxes at the top present uh, the Captain's Log and the title in large font is at the bottom. The story opens. Kirk's Log tells of a massive cloud of Vega radiation created from Nova activity that is approaching the the Andrea star system. The Enterprise is on an urgent mission to evacuate any inhabited planets before the radiation cloud kills them all. Not an unusual premise. This kind of stuff happens a lot in the Star Trek universe. Uh, The Enterprise enters Andrea 4 orbit where the population is only 200 individuals. Limited tech is detected by the ship's sensors, so Kirk conjectures this might be their first contact with space travel. They form a landing party and hurry to beam down, but Scotty warns them of an unusual solar energy field around the planet that might interfere with the transporter. Kirk states the transporters are essential to a successful evacuation, and he trusts Scotty to make any necessary adjustments to compensate for the interference. The landing party transports down, and as Scotty predicted, the solar radiation interfered with the transport. As Kirk predicted, Scotty made the needed adjustments to get them down safely, but in the process, Scotty severely burned his hands. Soon after the transport completed, an alien uh, hovercraft, which actually looks more like a uh, Star Wars speeder to me, uh, lands in front of the landing party. The alien stated he was expecting them and he gave them a ride to their uh, single city. Soon after their arrival, they are shocked to see three huge statues of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. The impossibility of the situation is made worse when Spock states the statues are 24,000 years old. Kirk asks their Andrian hosts to explain the statues. In response, the alien says the statues are to honor their arrival and that all will will be explained soon. The alien excuses himself as he must make preparations to, quote, step beyond. In response to the mysterious aliens, McCoy states that their race is dying, which explains the small population. No progress is being made in the evacuation as the aliens insist that there is no danger because the enterprising crew are their protectors, so no harm will come to them if they stay on the planet. In response to the dilemma, the crew decide to try to disperse the Vega radiation cloud using the ship's phasers. Due to transportation problems and orbital realities there is no way to get the landing party back on the ship in time, so Kirk orders Scotty to take the ship and attempt to disperse the cloud. While the Enterprise is away, Kirk and the landing party decide to investigate the planet and discover why such a large amount of solar radiation is diverted to the planet. Using the hovercraft, they find a vast solar collector hundreds of kilometers in diameter. The Andrian informs them that this is just one of many such collectors scattered about the planet. Meanwhile in the Enterprise, Scotty's attempts to disperse the cloud fail, and in the process uh, the ship's warp drive is disabled. They divert power to the deflector screens to protect themselves, but are unable to stop the deadly radiation cloud. Back on the planet, McCoy calls Kirk and Spock back to the base of their statue, where an Andrian is undergoing an amazing transformation that is accelerating his evolution at an incredible rate. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy follow the transforming Andrian Andrian, uh, through a door in the base of the statue and discover a vast high-tech complex beneath the surface. With vast amounts of solar energy being captured over many millennia, and advanced machineries to use it, the landing party is suddenly hopeful that they can use its power to disperse the cloud. They quickly recognize they do not have the time to figure out the complex controls, and Spock attempts a mind meld with the transforming alien. Spock breaks off the mind meld due to his his simple mind not being able to keep up with the rapidly evolving aliens. Before breaking off, Spock learns enough to know how to activate an incredibly powerful beam that the Andreans provided for them to use at this moment and disperse the cloud. They use the beam disperse the cloud and save the day. Later on the Enterprise Spock explains how the Andrian race have transcended time which comes in handy when your home planet is about to kill you and you want to make the most of an envisioned visit of the Enterprise. Okay, so um, if it isn't incredibly uh, obvious as these and- Andrians uh, transition into a non-corporeal state, uh, they're able to experience the past and future simultaneously. Pretty complicated. Uh, pretty weird, but uh, so that helps explain things a little further. Anyway, what do you think? Now,
0: are Are they actually transforming to another... Uh, a non corporeal body, because I never that, got that. Because yeah, that he still has a body when they leave. I thought they just went underground and lived <clears> under there <throat> for the rest of their heightened existence life.
1: That isn't what I got out of it. Okay, uh, I got out of it that they're that that when they what what was the what was the uh, exact wording uh, when they pass beyond. That wasn't right.
0: Yeah, step when beyond. They, they want to step beyond. When they beyond. step
1: beyond, okay. When they step beyond, I, I'm pretty sure it was saying in there they actually become incorporeal. Mm. So they, you know, they 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 basically evolved to the point of not needing their bodies anymore. That's what I got out of it.
0: Well, that makes more sense because I, you know, I kept looking at the pictures, going, uh, "He looks just the same."
1: I mean... <laughs> well, I, I don't know that they actually showed him. Uh, after he was in his ultimate state But definitely when Spock was mind-melding with him He looked normal I mean, he right. had the body, he had the weird hair you know.
0: And the last three panels of the comic Show them leaving him He's, He stays underground And, 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 and they take the elevator str- back up Yeah, And yeah. and he looks normal Or yeah. he still has a body As,
1: as normal as they look uh, th- These aliens are, are, are weird-looking um, uh, No elbows And <laughs> A, a real arch. Uh, so basically, they don't have shoulders, they don't have elbows. It's just a big arch, which makes up the middle of their body, going out to uh, out to their hands. And they out-looking. and they
0: have this billowed um, underarm, like their like their armpits are these huge, like parachute looking.
1: Yeah, <laughs> true. Uh,
0: billowy. I don't know. I right. guess it's skin. I don't know. They look. They look really strange. Remind yep. me. Remind me of a. I had a toy when I was a kid that was kind of like a Stretch Armstrong kind of thing. Right. It was this monster that you could pull his arms. Right. He looked a lot like that, or at least I remember him looking like that. Right. But anyways.
1: Yeah, the cool thing about comic books is you can draw aliens any way you want to. You don't have to worry about a budget uh, where you'd have to come up with some kind of a uh, costume.
0: Right. Um, That that would look believable on the screen. Exactly.
1: Which, of course, never stopped Doctor Who. In the early days But um, But yeah so, so they can draw aliens Any way they want to In a comic book And they, they did in this case that, that is a creative alien
0: Right And, and let's not just Bad mouth Doctor Who Because I mean Yeah uh, <laughs> Doctor Who Star Trek Lost in space They're all guilty Of the same thing
1: um, True Some series Went more overboard Than the others Right uh, The Magatu is, uh, is pretty funny looking and But the- uh, but you got You got to admit. Okay, so so so, if we had to rank the ridiculousness of aliens, I think the original Lost in Space series definitely has to be at the end of the continuum, uh, the ridiculous end of the continuum. And then at the other the the other end of the continuum, where is something a little bit more reasonable? Aliens. Um, I would tend to put Star Trek. Uh, but you know, I really haven't thought about. I haven't thought thought about the. Um, acceptable, uh, reasonable alien end of the spectrum as much as the weird, ridiculous aliens, which definitely lost some space. And Doctor Who occupy, occupy that, that that space to the right. No, and I... let, 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 let me also say that some docu- Doctor Who aliens are, are good, they're fine. It's just that some are really laughable.
0: They are. And Doctor Who and Star Trek, they relied a lot on just People, normal humans with different kinds of makeup. Yeah, uh, like you know, really heavy eyeliner or right. you know, eyeshadow. That's a that's an alien. Right. Uh, so I get what you're saying, I, and I agree with you on the ranking. So ridiculous. The most ridiculous was Lost in Space, Doctor Who, and then Star Trek.
1: <laughs> of just those that that I threw of, out there. that we but,
0: mentioned. I, I, and, I,
1: and of course the cool thing now is uh, in the later Star Trek series. Uh, where they're using computer-generated animation. I mean, you you have a lot of creativity, and it's just a question of whether you can get the CG uh, uh, CGI right. Uh, you know, to, to to make it look right, because you can make it look like anything. So
0: that's true. Yep. And what, what, the uh, the Voyager. new Doctor Who and the new Lost in Space also benefited from CGI aliens.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. No no toys about it yeah although I, I i do like um with David tennant doctor who even though they look ridiculous, I like the characters there's like a cactus head looking aliens uh uh
0: yeah, and the a, a um, guy and a
1: girl kind of like right. cactus heads, yeah, and uh and it was like cactus heads, really, although they look kind of cool,
0: but well, really, they cactus heads uh, yeah, I really liked it, that one where the uh the older guy I forgot his name, but he said. He called them cactus heads, and then the girl's like, "That's so racist." (laughs) Anyways, right, right. All right, back to this one. Just, just here at the end, the whole thing about how Spock knows that he has to go and pull this one lever, and Mm -hmm. it shoots Mm -hmm. the beam out and dissipates the cloud. Right. I thought was a little silly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, what do you think about the about the comic overall?
0: Uh, The comic overall, it wasn't horrible. I mean, uh, I've read worse, but it's not one I think I would pick up again and and reread anytime soon.
1: Right. I agree.
0: I mean, it was just the aliens. They looked, you know, you, you said that, you know, you were talking about how they looked different. But to me, I thought they looked too different with the, you know, almost like Cobra gills, I guess, would be kind of the way their arms are. and They're kind of fanned mm. out, and they're always looking like they just want to give you a big hug. <laughs> it's just a little odd. Right. And like, like, they... I guess, yeah. like I said, I was a little confused throughout the whole thing because I must have missed the corporeal body thing because it just... Uh, I was like, well, they still have bodies. I don't see what the big deal is. Yeah. yeah it, it,
1: it was not a... It, there, it was not a great story, and it wasn't original. I mean, how many times has the Enterprise gone to, uh, whether it be next gen or uh, original Trek, uh, you know, trying to save a planet with an asteroid coming towards it, or a plague, or whatever? True, So, but so yeah. it wasn't that original. And then some of the things they did, like the lever thing, like. I, are these aliens going in or not? I mean, and, and wh- why is it triggered like that? I mean, wouldn't you think a, an evolutionary change like that would take a huge amounts of time? I don't know. It, it was confusing.
0: Well, and, I mean, overall, I, what I really didn't understand, even from the very first page, was they're going to a planet that's about to get destroyed by this cloud. Mm-hmm. Um, they, at first I thought it was a colony, but then, you know, you find out that, no, they know these people aren't... aren't uh, Aren't spacefaring people, mm-hmm. and you know, this would be the first time they even knew about space travel. And so then that got me thinking, I'm like, well, what happened to the prime directive where you're not supposed to <laughs> help, even help another civilization that's, uh, you know, about to get destroyed because it's all part of, you know, the natural plan of things. I mean, w- would they do so Would they be able to beam up a. 200 people, non warp drive society in the later series. Well, that,
1: that's an interesting point. I, I never, really never thought of the whole prime directive thing, uh, you know, testing that rule that far. I would hope that they would be able to, and, and cripe, they come up with it, the whole prime directive thing, and, you know, Kirk every other day he'd break it. Right. You know, every other episode he'd break the damn thing.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, I was just I was just confused, and then later on, they say they have to go down and actually talk to the people and, you know, get their permission to beam them up, because they say they can't Shanghai them, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking, why not?
1: <laughs> They're going to well, die otherwise.
0: Lock onto them, beam them to a hangar bay, and get the hell out of there. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah. make first contact later, you know, make first contact on the ship and explain to, to the guys what's going on. Sure.
1: Of course, in the end of this story, that would have been the wrong thing to do, in the end. But in the middle of the story, you have no idea about all this extra stuff going on.
0: Right, yeah. So instead, they risk the captain, the first officer, the doctor, and two random crewmen. And the whole ship, really. And and these two random crewmen don't even have the decency to die. I mean, come on. (laughs) (laughs) When five people beamed down and it was the main three and two other dudes, I was like, all right. I know these guys aren't coming back. Who's going <laughs> to die? And then they didn't even, but, you know, and then later you see the statues, and it was McCoy, Spock, and Kirk, and I'm right.
1: like, What are they right, go to?
0: The, three, the two dudes aren't on there. They're going to die. Uh-huh. But and no. they didn't, so, oh, well. Then they, I don't know why they were gypped out of, a, uh, out of a nice statue.
1: I don't know. It seems very unfair. But maybe they figured, you know, three's good enough. You
0: know, come on, three? Come
1: on. The extra, extra two, eh, a bit too much trouble Yeah um, I thought the artwork Was pretty good Even though the alien looks a little, little ridiculous As you mentioned um, But I will say that um, Pretty good detail But I will say that uh, In some of the, the, the drawings of the crew um, People are looking pretty macho Especially Scotty at the beginning He's got the mustache, and he looks like he's got a very, um, like, muscled kind of face, and and things like that. Uh, and then Kirk, as he's getting out of the uh, the, the chair, looks incredibly skinny. Uh, so I mean, to some degree, things are a little um, idealized in the drawings. Although I must say, nothing near what we saw in that uh, Next Generation.
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> the, that that uh, mini series
1: series, yeah, that was something. <laughs>
0: Yeah, now uh, I didn't I didn't pick up on them being skinny or muscular but I mean there was a few shots where it was like kind of like weird camera angles like yeah on page 3 the the guy that's doing the transporter right and it's like his arms are like reaching out of you like a bad 3D movie where he's like ooh here's my fingers <laughs> here's my fingers look at them and then later on uh spock's kind of doing the same thing when he's pulling the lever
1: uh huh. Right, right. Well, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, I agree. But and then that... also, go ahead. I mean, the, the, also some of the drawings are trying to uh, display a lot of emotion, like like on page three, right next to that transporter guy whose arms are really outstretched. Um, I mean, they show a weird angle of Scotty's head, and Scotty is saying, got no!" It's right. like, um, I mean, that doesn't even look like Scotty. I mean, it does, but it looks like. I don't know. Uh, he looks like some kind of boxer or something, or some kind of, I don't know what. Uh, just, 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 Scotty was always either normal or fat. So, <laughs> uh, I, I just, seeing Scotty like this kind of, uh, you know, burly, whatever kind of uh, fireman kind of looking guy, it, it, I don't know, it throws me off a little bit.
0: Yeah. And then he gets his hands all burned up. And, the, yes, and then even in the picture there on page six, where he gets his hands burned, yeah, I mean, as he, he
1: tries to yeah right as he yeah. tries to fix the transporter right
0: right. So even though even that picture, his hands are like way in the in the 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 foreground, and his body's kind of behind. And it it's, right. again, it's an odd picture. There there's a lot now that I think about it in this comic where things are supposed to be like pointing out at you, right. like on page eleven uh, the. It's like Spock's using like a remote control for a TV, and it's like,
1: <laughs> it's 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 his tricorder, but it does look like a remote control for a TV, and it, it looks very three D. Doesn't it?
0: It Does I wonder if that? And then on page uh, page fifteen, he's doing a two when he's saying both ship and the planet will be forfeit, and he has his hands out in the you know two fingers, and that's kind of poking out at you,
1: right? And on page ten, the alien is pointing. So he's got his right hand going oh, forward, yeah. and he's pointing, and his hand is coming out of one pane, or out of one panel, and pointing well into the the panel beneath it.
0: Yeah. Huh. So I wonder if they 3D. were doing th- they were doing that on purpose. And then on page I think so. Page twenty three, they when the Enterprise is attacking the cloud. Right. The Enterprise is kind of in three D. The nacelles are kind of poking out at you, and then it tapers down to the saucer section. Right. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, it is. The only thing I had was that I just did not understand why there was even a hover car. I mean, it said <laughs> that it, said it was the only hover car, and somehow it came from the super technological advanced underground, but I didn't buy it.
1: Well, they, they needed to move around and get to where that solar collector dish is. And that dish couldn't be near the city or where they beamed down or else they probably would have noticed it. Right. So they got to have something to get them a long distance to get to where that big solar dish is that they didn't notice at the beginning of the story. So I think that's why it's there. Otherwise, they we wouldn't even seen one.
0: Yeah. Just, just weird. Yeah. All right. So you ready to move on to the comic strip? Let's do it. All right. So this was comic strip four entitled Double Bluff And the writer and the artist is Thomas Warkenton, and he's the guy that's been doing them all so far. Uh, We'll switch to somebody new pretty soon, but not yet. All right, so the Enterprise crew are investigating the planet Telos, T-E-L-O-S, as opposed to Talos, which is from the episode The Cage. So this is definitely not that planet. Right. So, they're uh, investigating the planet to see if it's capable uh, to relocate an endangered colony to. Suddenly, Ahura informs the captain of an incoming vessel uh, that is several hundred uh, years old. So, it's a very ancient uh, ship. And they even talk about how it's using some old propulsion method. Um, It's not returning their hails, so Captain Kirk orders yellow alert. Uh, this yellow alert interrupts a chess game between crewmen's Thobo and Bob. Thobo. Yeah. So <laughs> the crewmen that are Thobo. playing chess is Thobo and Bob, and then it also cuts short an embrace between an unidentified male and female crew member. So they're uh, looks like they're about to get uh, close, and then they have to break apart.
1: And say they're thinking to each other, "Why now?"
0: Yeah, and and I'm gonna. That was just weird, and I even the only put it, reason I put it in here was because I thought it was going to come up later, and it does not. These these two people are never seen again, so I don't know what was going on there.
1: But Thobo is
0: Thobo is, but this man and woman that were cuddling aren't. Mm-hmm. Yep. So again, all right, just thought that was weird. All right, so back to the synopsis. So the little ship is heading on a collision course with the massive Enterprise. Kirk orders a tractor beam. On it and uh, beams the lifeforms Aboard the ship before uh, Their ship can explode due to the pro- Some prior damage uh, When the two life forms Materialize on the transporter pad It turns out that they're Klingons uh, These two Klingons uh, Refuse to speak to anybody but the captain And kind of make a little bit of a stink about it uh, When Captain Kirk finally arrives uh, They inform him that Their names are Morg And his sister Cheater and that they demand Federation Sanctuary. They state that they are being hunted by the Klingon government due to them speaking out against them. Uh, Kirk tells them that uh, they will take them to the nearest starbase in two days, and in that time, they will protect them. Kirk orders Scotty and Chekov to search the small ship for bombs, and if none are found, then to repair it uh they don't find any uh bombs but they find that the ship is incredibly filthy uh so they don't find the bomb so they go ahead and start to make the repairs meanwhile the klingons are making a little bit of a f- fuss for themselves uh morg even starts an extensive fist fight with Chekhov in which uh chekov eventually gets the upper hand and is able to knock out the klingon as morg is being taken to sickbay a klingon battlecruiser intercepts the enterprise when Morg hears about the incoming Klingon ship, he kind of goes bananas and attacks Dr. Chapel and uh, some male nurse that was there. Uh, he eventually escapes, saying, I must speak with the captain. Uh, he eventually makes it all the way to the bridge and warns Kirk in, purpose, uh, in person to run or they will face certain death. At that moment, the Klingons open communications with the Enterprise and state that they are looking for some fugitives. When Kirk informs them that they do indeed have them and that they're going to give them diplomatic protection, uh, the Klingon captain says that he will get them back at all cost. Uh, The two vessels then exchange a few torpedo shots with one another. And Eventually, the Klingons move their ship within 50 meters of the Enterprise, so it's they're basically nose-to-nose, nose. and they threaten to fire on the Enterprise point-blank in one hour unless he has the fugitives, uh, knowing full well that if he does that, it will destroy both ships. Kirk calmly informs him that he will think about it. Uh, meanwhile, Morgan and his sister escape yet again from their quarters and make their ways to the bridge. Uh, they tell Kirk that they're going to volunteer to take their ship and leave and forego the Federation Sanctuary. Uh, so basically they're willing to sacrifice themselves so that Kirk doesn't have to sacrifice the whole ship. Uh, Kirk orders Scotty to have their ship ready ASAP. When the repairs are done, a very unex- and then there's this very unexpected kiss from Cheater to Kirk. Uh, the Klingons are shot out of the hangar bay at the uh, end of the ship at the same time as two unmanned life pods are jettisoned from either side of the ship. Uh, their hope is that the Klingons would focus on the life life pods and they would not see the shuttle uh, making its way behind it. Uh, the Klingons assume that the life pods have the fugri- fugitives and destroy them and then they just leave thinking that they actually already killed the fugitives. Uh, and then it ends with a few jokes that Kirk will one day find out uh, that life is not a poker game. That's McCoy telling Kirk that life is not a poker game. And then Chekhov uh, tells Kirk that the uh, Starfleet honor was uh, held intact after his fistfight with Morg. So, not a bad one. I liked it.
1: I, th- I think this comic strip was actually pretty good, but the only thing I wasn't crazy about... Was the end where the, the ploy to shoot the two uh, pods out of both sides of the engineering uh, section? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> that the Klingons were dumb enough to fall for that. It's like, I mean, okay, so, so the, the fact that the, that the pods shoot out to kind of cover, ha- have them watching the pods rather than them heading out the back, uh, uh, out of the shuttle bay, okay, I can, I, I can dig on that but that they would actually assume that they're in there and then blast blast the pods out of the sky and expect accept that, that as their they're dead it's like I don't, know. I don't know plus don't they have sensors did they explain that i don't think they did
0: no they didn't
1: okay do they yeah. have sensors can't you tell if somebody's in there i mean even even the imperial guys knew that there were no people in the uh, in the pod in the original star wars movie i mean come on yeah no, good
0: it it makes no sense and i when Kirk is talking to the Klingons and he says, "We're about to launch some pods, but the fugitives are not are on not there. in there. They are <laughs> not in these pods." And then he shoots out the pods, and then the then the Klingons are like, "Oh, he must be lying to us. I think they're in those pods. We'll destroy <laughs> them both and leave." <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> "What?" <laughs>
1: and, and just assume that uh, that they were in there. Yeah, I mean. It, it it comes under the heading of sometimes it's good to have an expeditious, satisfying ending to a story. However, to achieve it, sometimes you cheat a little and put something out there that isn't uh, that's expeditious and closes things up nicely, but really are is hard to uh, hard to swallow. But right. nah. other than that, it's pretty good. I mean, it's for a comic strip. I think it's quite good.
0: oh uh, yeah, and I thought the artwork was really good in this one. Okay. I mean, it's not, it's not. You know, it's not as detailed as a comic book would be, but I really dig this artwork, and I think that Thomas Warkenton, I think he does a really good job on ships. I mean, you're talking about a panel that's only, you know, when it gets printed into the newspaper on, you know, the thinnest paper possible. Um, But he's still able to get that detail in some of these ships that uh, is quite impressive, I think.
1: Yeah. Everything looks really good it, 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 The ships wise Everything looks accurate um, Which you cannot And you think they would at least get that reasonably right But as we'll see in our final Book uh, Not so Not not The ships are not always drawn accurately But right. they do a good job in this one
0: Yeah And I think yeah. even the people are They look pretty good I mean, they do, although
1: I will comment that um, I was a little thrown off at first because Kirk's hair he has original Trek hair, straight, you know, comb back, whatever, over the side, and he doesn't have the permed out hair. I mean, didn't he have like like curly permed hair in the uh, in in the Star Trek films?:
0: Yeah, he did.
1: anyway, and I know people can't go back and forth with their chosen hairstyles, but Uh, I thought that was a little bit uh, uh, off as far as continuity, but he probably just said, hey, this is the way I'm used to seeing Kirk, so I'm going to draw it that way. Well,
0: I mean, he did draw uh, Ilya in the first two storylines, even though she had already been dead by the time that story took place. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, And he probably didn't think anybody would be talking about it 20-something years later. Probably
1: not. Probably not. (laughs) Um, Another interesting thing in the drawing department is Crewman Thobo who Who does pop up multiple times in the story you mentioned the first time you see him uh, playing uh, a, a disrupted uh, three dimensional chess game or whatever
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, in that initial um picture drawing of him, it was a very small panel uh, so they couldn't have a lot of detail but looking at him, I mean he's got these huge eyes, obviously not human um, an egg shaped head um little no little little little, little Dots for noses, uh, nose, nostrils, and uh, generally speaking, looking like some kind of kid thing. Um, I, I actually, I, I said he looks a lot like the way they drew the uh, the tortoise in the Warner Brothers cartoons. You know, when Bugs was uh, was doing the, the hair in yeah, the that... Tortoise and Hare story. Right. He, he looked like like that guy. Um but later later in panels where they could put more detail on him he looks a lot more there's more detail to his head it isn't just smooth and shiny he's got uh scales and stuff and he looks more like a uh, uh like a lizard kind of thing yeah and that and that early thing he, he it just threw me off i mean it looked like a kid's drawing
0: yeah I, I thought he looked more like a little salamander but I totally see what you're talking about yeah. the uh the turtle thing but but yeah, what is the deal with the, the two people cuddling in the Y now? I don't know.
1: I don't
0: know. Maybe maybe I, it'll but, come out in a later story, but it nah. just seemed really random.
1: I think it's just, I think they just threw it in there just to, to show. That just get more depth, more, that, that that there's more people on this ship doing things than just Kirk, Spock, and McCoy.
0: Right. I, I guess. Right. I don't know yeah what uh what would you think about the uh the Klingon woman cheater
1: uh the Klingon girl had a pretty hot little shape to her in that first uh in that first picture where we kind of see her uh she's got a nice little trim shape to her and she's got these little and she's basically looks like she's got a, an original trek, uh, really really short miniskirt kind of thing on um, not a hundred percent the same but kind of reminiscent and uh she's looking kind of cute. Uh, but of course i will say that the head is traditional klingon but like with with almost no hair on top so that's not too hot but
0: right so uh... yeah i was thinking about it when i was reading it i was like okay so this is so he took you know a female character and uh at this point we hadn't seen what a female klingon looked like i mean do we we see a female klingon in star trek 3 right isn't there a female crew member on that on Christopher Lloyd's ship?
1: Um I don't remember but quite possibly.
0: We didn't we never saw a Klingon woman um or female Klingon until way later and we never saw one look like this with the uh like really receded hairline um White. and the ridges that go all the way to the top. Uh so I mean I like the design it it's different. Yeah. So I wonder if he just, you know, he liked Elia enough to bring her back from the dead for a couple of story no. arcs. Maybe he just digs the bald chicks.
1: And uh, bald, skinny chicks. So Maybe. Yeah. He, he took Elia's drawing, basically, and just made her a Klingon.
0: It works. I liked it.
1: Yeah. It was fine with me. And then uh, when, he, when Kirk gets a little kiss at the end from her...
0: Yeah, that that's kind of weird. weird. Just... Yeah, that was weird. And it, even, it even surprised Kirk. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's
1: probably the last thing he thought he was ever going to get from a Klingon was a little peck on the cheek.
0: Yeah. Uh, but that was very yeah. noble of them to sacrifice themselves so that they didn't have to endanger the whole ship. Right. Although I, end... I don't really see how... I don't see how their plan would have worked because, cause like you said, they should have scanned the two sh- shut- uh They should have scanned the two life pods and said, there's nobody on here. You still have the fugitives, photon torpedo to the bridge, blow ships, blow up, and then you see the little shuttlecraft that they're in going, ha-ha, got out of there, (laughs) suckers. (laughs) See you later. But anyways. Yeah,
1: because they would have been a lot safer if they would have had Federation uh, protection and gotten to Federation space. I mean, you know, to... Well, they weren't more safe. populated more populated Federation space. Yeah, but the ship was sitting on a ship.
0: Ship was about to get ex- exploded. Well okay. So what they I'm had saying to get out is, of there.
1: Well I know that. But their objective was to get, you know, into the ca- warm cockles of uh federa- of the Federation where the Klingons couldn't touch touch them.
0: Right. No, I got gotcha. you.
1: Which they 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 did not meet that objective. Now they're right back out where they started from. But at least they got a fixed ship.
0: Well, really, what would once the Klingons left, thinking that they destroyed them, what's going to stop the Federation or the Enterprise from just doing a 180 and picking them up? And picking them up. That's another thing. Yeah, that's so another thing. I didn't really understand why they had to leave at all, unless in the back of their minds they were like, Let's get off of here before he gets blowed up. <laughs> right. Which is uh, not mentioned in the story, that's just me ad-libbing. For sure.
1: Anything could happen after the story ends. It's, that's the wonderful thing about telling stories. You can make up your own follow-on, right. as apparently others had done. So it was uh, good seeing Rand in, yeah, again, Yeoman Rand or whatever she Chief Rand, whatever she is. Yeah, Chief Rand. Uh, so it's good to see her sprinkled in every once in a while. Yep. Uh, if for however short. Um, I thought the Chekhov. Uh, doing the Kirk-like fighting with a Klingon, I thought that was uh, kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, what'd you think about his initial fighting stance there in that <sighs> Sunday, uh, that Sunday paper? I don't know what day it was, um, but right before they start fighting, and Chekhov like has his fists up, but he has them kind of up in like a like a doggy paddle style. In a
1: doggy paddle style. I
0: don't know what else to call it. I mean, usually when you see somebody fight, their knuckles are facing the person they're about to fight. But in this one, the knuckles are facing his face, and he's like pointing his hands out, kind of. It looks really weird.
1: It is a little weird, but who knows? Maybe uh, that's the way they do it in the future.
0: Yeah, maybe. Well, the later pictures show a more traditional, you know, fists fist in a, right. in a traditional fist fight but that one picture when he's about to start it looks kind of weird.
1: Right. Yeah, that is kind of that is weird. I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> uh, but uh yeah again something I think I might have uh, mentioned in the past is um it's not unusual to have the Klingon or some other super strong alien person fight a human. And 9 times out of 10 the human ends up being victorious. So from that standpoint, I oh here we go again. Klingons are supposed to be so strong, uh, and then you know here's Chekov, you know one of the wimpier guys I think traditionally on the show um, ends up uh, defeating him. So it's, but but at, at least the way they did it is uh, Chekhov ends up beating him because he's using uh, the Klingons' own inertia. And flipping him into a wall so he hits his head and, go and get uh, gets knocked out. Yes, so at least they did it that way.
0: Yeah. So what happens for anybody who who don't have these comics? Uh, he the Klingon actually kind of knocks uh, Chekhov to the ground, and he's laying on the ground. And the Klingon jumps, and he's going to land on his rib cage. And right before he lands on Chekhov he grabs his feet and kind of spins him around and. He ends up hitting his head on the wall Knocking him out So I, I don't know Seemed more coincidental than, than a, a true fighting tactic to me No? You mean you didn't, you didn't
1: think he was like um, uh, Like playing possum a little bit No I and think then, And then uh, Blowing him into a false sense of security And then whipping around and grabbing his ankles And uh, spinning him around to the wall
0: <laughs> no, I think he got his butt kicked. He fell on the ground and then he just happened, <laughs> happened to grab his feet right before he got his rib cage broken and flipped him over.
1: Well, okay. But, you know, may, maybe it wasn't a plan. Maybe it was uh, divine inspiration at a critical point in time. <laughs> but yeah. at least, you know, you, you got to give yeah, check off some credit here.
0: Well, yeah, well. and you said the wimp yeah. one of the wimpier ones. He he's not wimpy. Oh come on! He's chief of security. In
1: well, this, he in wasn't this. okay. He wasn't chief of security until they decided to put him in that role in the movies. Right. But I mean, like, like in the TV show, I mean, what? I mean, come on. Uh, now, it, it's wimpy. The, okay, now trouble, trouble, the tribbles. I think he was in that bar
0: fight with hey, Scotty and stuff. And he but, went um, and he fought Kirk in uh, the Mirror Universe episode, didn't he? Whymer? Did he? Yeah, because he was the head of that mutiny that they were trying to...
1: Well, that, that was a parallel universe. Come on. <laughs> Wasn't even the same guy. A totally different guy in a different universe. <laughs> well,
0: you I, got, you I, got I, I just there. don't think I'm very... I can't I, 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 you know,
1: either. Yeah, you, you shouldn't, man. You should know better. Anyway. And then, of course, we'll see soon in the uh, next issue that he can be pretty wimpy, too.
0: Yeah, which is weird because he wrote that one. Exactly. So, uh, the last thing I have... I have
1: feelings, I'm Chekhov. Anyway.
0: (laughs) The last thing I have is that uh, when the Klingons see the uh, Enterprise for the first time, the ones that are on the ship, the cruiser, they call the Enterprise a Constitution Class 2. I never heard that, but I guess it's a fitting name to talk about the refitted USS Enterprise.
1: Yep. Yeah, it's it's surprising how many times they did 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 Now, of course, uh we've said this before, you know, every other story the Klingons are like, "Ooh, I'd love to have a starship." Um didn't they already go through one where they saw the where the Klingons saw uh the refitted Enterprise? Yeah, that and was commented on it.
0: Yeah, uh, that was there was a couple of issues of the Marvel series, Mar- uh issue number Four and five, and then and Star Trek Untold Voyages number one. So they're mm-hmm. both two different, different continuities. So this would be the first time that that storyline has been used here in the comic strips.
1: In this particular uh, comic strip, yeah. Okay, yeah. well, they—I guess they have enough. Um, they've got enough intelligence spies or whatever to know a name to call it. But they still don't know what the ship's capabilities are.
0: Yeah, well, I no mean, often. they don't act like that in this one. I mean, they they know that they're going to be able to destroy the ship by firing point blank. I mean, They weren't even trying to steal it. They were just trying to blow it up to get to those two fugitives. Right.
1: And, of course, if they would have blown it up, then they wouldn't have had anything, would they?
0: Nope. But they said they had to get them at all costs. A high
1: cost indeed. We move on to the next one all right so this is a, a DC comic issue number 19 and the title is Chekhov's choice published date is October of 1985 and the creative team is um, Walter koning who did the writing or Koenig good uh, mr. Sula, or mr. Chekhov himself um, the artist was uh, Dan Spiegel the colorist was uh, michelle wolfman the letterer was c spiegel and the uh, editor was marv wolfman uh, so we've got a couple wolfmans and a couple spiegel's in the uh, creative team okay um the cover shows Chekhov standing and leaning backwards as if his back is to an imaginary wall Behind him are disembodied heads of many people in his life. O'Hara, Kirk, Scotty, McCoy, and a shouting and angry Mr. Spock, to name a few. The lettering tells Walter Koenig wrote the issue, and that Dan uh, Spiegel illustrated it. The story opens with the Enterprise traveling to Peljeham 5, where they will be interviewing the Ebricks, who offer their services to Federation vessels. They have no spacefaring capabilities of their own, uh, and they like to do monotonous work on ships that drive most other species insane with boredom. So they do have something to offer. Out of the blue, the Enterprise receives a distress call from a ship on self-destruct in 20 seconds. Not a lot of time to react. Kirk gives the order to lock on coordinates to beam over as many people as possible, but changes it, to get them out of range of the blast that will destroy the Enterprise as well as the other ship. Kirk is feeling bad later on over having to make the decision that sentenced those people to death. Judging by the look on Chekhov's face, he was even more affected by the loss than Kirk. Later, when another ship comes within sensor range that appears to be on a similar course, Kirk orders Chekhov to give him an assessment of size, speed, and armaments of their doppelganger following ship. Chekhov does not respond and actually just sits there. Kirk says it's the third time today that Kirk needed to repeat himself. Chekhov says he can't help it because he is depressed over the people that died. Kirk relieves him of duty until he can do his job again. Later in the rec room, crew members express their displeasure with the captain's actions, saying he was harder than he should have been on Chekhov. McCoy has to break up a fight between Scotty and another guy. Kirk expresses his distress to Spock and asks him when the pain in the universe is too much for a person to take. Chekhov is enduring nightmares of painful events in his life, some of which may be in fact, uh, may, may be fact and others' fiction. He runs out of his quarters in distress and bumps into a fetching young yeoman named Marjorie. She apparently appreciates his six-pack abs and later they are talking on an observation deck uh, with clothes all on. He is whining and she is consoling him. Meanwhile on the bridge, Kirk, Spock, and others discuss what to do about the ship that appears to be following the Enterprise and not responding to their hails. Kirk suggests that maybe they are in trouble and that he proposes to fly a shuttlecraft to them to offer help. McCoy tells Kirk that he's acting like a wimp and overreacting to the ship that exploded. Kirk proposes that he should fly the shuttle instead. Spock does this and and is confronted by a large ship with many smaller ships that attack Spock's shuttle. Spock recognizes his attackers as Vulcans. Kirk gets reports from multiple places on the ship about disobedience and crew discontent. Even Chekhov supposedly uh, is inciting mutiny on the wreck deck. Kirk orders Sulu to go down there with a security detail and bring Chekhov to him immediately. Uhura reports they have lost contact with Spock. Sulu tries to bring Chekhov to the captain, but a fight between them breaks out. A red shirt finally stuns Chekhov, which triggers rage in the people Chekhov... Uh, was talking to. A riot breaks out with Sulu and the security guys running for their lives. The mutinous crewmen take over the ship via the auxiliary control center while the Enterprise hurtles on a collision course with a large dense asteroid. Kirk tries to get Chekov to talk to his followers and give up the ship's control, give the ship's control back in 8 minutes or they're all dead. Chekov checks the view screen but does not see the asteroid Kirk speaks of and calls Kirk a liar. Suddenly Spock enters the room and explains that Kirk does not lie uh, and that the ship is uh, and the ship that is following them is manufacturing illusions like the one he saw of the Vulcan attack ships and quite possibly the ship full of people that exploded. Someone wants the crew to be at each other's throats and to destroy the ship which will happen soon if they impact the asteroid. Spock says that Chekhov's inability to see the asteroid and his new girlfriend are illusions. The illusions stop working on Spock because, because the Vulcan warships have not existed for 20,000 years, so Spock knew they were BS. Spock finally talks Chekhov into rejecting the illusions, even if he is in love with the Yeoman illusion. Finally, finally, Chekhov comes to his senses with no time to lose. They run to the the auxiliary control uh, deck. They talk the mutineers into letting Spock in. And then Chekhov personally slows the ship and turns it away from the asteroid just in time. The aliens perpetrating the illusions show themselves on a view screen and look like they have coconuts for heads. They explain their only defense is illusion, so they used it to hide from the rest of the galaxy, the rest of the races of the galaxy. They could not allow the Ebricks to serve on starships because they are so single-minded and emotionally flat that they would see through their illusions and discover them. Since the Enterprise crew ultimately saw through the illusions without the Ebricks being present, they admit defeat and throw themselves on Kirk's mercy. Kirk says says they have no interest in conquering and if they were not so mistrustful they could have opened themselves up to the beauty and diversity the rest of the people of the galaxy could have shared. Kirk says the illusionist people can go in peace and he hopes they will learn a lesson. There is a little, little light-hearted comical thing where Kirk says for Chekhov's punishment he'll have to uh, describe in detail the fetching yeoman that was able to uh, turn Chekhov on the rest of the crew. <laughs> so, that was the end of uh, of the story. So, what do you think? Uh, I, I think I think this is this is my least favorite of the three. Uh, I think the story was kind of okay, but it's not a great issue overall. And I think there was a lot of haphazard illustration work going on, uh, and for that, I subtract points. And I'll get into more detail as far as what I call the haphazard illustration work. Okay. Later. What do you think?
0: Uh, I agree with you. I wasn't uh, too blown away with it. I I've, I read this one years ago. Uh, I bought it as a, a back issue. And I was all excited about it because, you know, I knew that in this version of Star Trek, the volume one of the Star Trek uh, comic book that DC was putting out, it was based in between Star Trek uh, 2 and 3. So when I saw this random issue that was kind of a backstory, you know, po- post-the-motion-picture era, I was all excited, especially when it says Chekhov's choice, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be how Chekhov decides to leave the Enterprise and become, you know, first officer on, uh, or a commander there on the Reliant. Right. And That'd be cool. It would have been cool, and that's not at all what I got. So I've got to... So... You know, that was my initial reading when I read it years ago. So I tried to read it again this time uh, without that expectation. And I still did not really care for it. I mean, it had some cool parts, but uh, it was just... I think they used the illusion thing maybe a little too much. I mean, we've, we've only been doing this for, what, this is the 26th episode. So we've read, you know... Less than 100 comics, and they've done illusions, taking over you know, everything maybe 10 or 12 times already.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it seems like that. Yeah.
0: yeah, so it's just like, oh, it's illusions, great. But aside from that, I, I mean, it's not a horrible issue. Um, I'll listen to what you have to say about the artwork before I chime in.
1: Okay. Okay, so I got a list here. Um, at times, uh, Kirk is drawn well. And he looks like Shatner. At other times, uh, he does not look like the Shat at all. Which, I, it just, which is really annoying. Uh, I, the closest description I could say, at times he looks like Chuck Woolery. Um, you know, the game show host. Um, Spock is also drawn oddly at times. Uh, he looks cross-eyed and bloody dim-witted just before uh, his shuttle is hijacked. Um... And the shuttle he's flying is very odd. Um, it, it, I was thinking it's got fins on it. It looks like it's something from a uh, 1950s Flash Gordon serial.
0: Well, not only um, not only his ship, but all those Vulcan ships that attack him. I mean, some of them are like really cheesy looking.
1: Cheesy looking, and 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 they're supposedly from 20,000 years ago. So it's like, okay. You know, obviously the Vulcans were not in the. Later, you find out it was from from like twenty thousand years ago. So the Vulcans weren't in the most technologically advanced state that long ago, but still, they, you're right. They do look weird.
0: But what's funny is that uh, there's there's two of Even them. Even given that, yeah, there's there's two of them in particular. the the little um, uh, the one that's on the far right. I don't know if you're looking at it. the the top row of of ships on the far right. The one that's like a little sin a uh, looking one with the little fins that come off right it might have a little point at the top I mean that looks just like the original um superman ship looked like and from ah. from the original <laughs> and then and then that one that's kind of like uh like the third one in that line that's that's shooting onto the little shuttle i mean it looks like another version of superman ship uh that takes him to earth in in another continuity, so I'm like. Why the old cheesy-looking, you know, DC Comics past kind of thing? Uh, right. Why these ships look like that? And why does the shuttlecraft? The shuttlecraft looks really weird. And yeah,
1: that—that's that, not Federation. That is not a Federation design. Yeah. Nope. Right. No. Wait. No. 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 How? All right. Go ahead. Um. Moving. Uh, continuing on. <laughs> um. Yeah, he can't even get the Enterprise right in a lot of panels. So, um, on page 21 and 23, um, and, and, you know, I, I'm just quoting the pages. Uh, it just for, for folks that don't have uh, the comic, um, it, it's just, it, 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 they're just, I think they're just bad drawings. I mean, it looks like a fifth grader did them. I mean, it looks like the cells are just little tubes. And the spindly um, pylons that are connecting them are just little straight sticks. Um, It's like either he was purposely trying to do something abstract, or they just didn't spend much time on it.
0: I no, I agree. I agree that the the ship does look weird, especially in the very last panel of the comic. Yeah, and it's kind of zooming away, and it looks like you know, like some sort of concept art for. Like you know, when they were trying yeah, trying right. to figure out what the new Enterprise would look like, I mean, because the exactly. nacelles are very, very, very long and and like you said, really spindly looking.
1: Yeah. So I, I'm just not crazy about that. And then and then of course the uh, <laughs> the illusionists. <laughs> I mean, when you first see them, and almost every time you see them, I mean, it looks like a bloody coconut.
0: <laughs> I don't. Th- um, I don't think they look it's... like a coconut. I was gonna say they look like a raisin, like a, a raisin, like a Muppet, well, a Muppet that was made to look like a raisin.
1: But he doesn't look shriveled like a raisin. I mean, I mean, well, it, it kind of maybe raisin esque ridges around them, but they're not so deep like like a raisin. But yeah, I can see that too. It's just, it, it's like it's like their mouth goes like like all the way across their head. It's like. Uh, it's like 75% of their head is one piece of coconut, <laughs> and then they've kind of chopped off the bottom 25% of the coconut uh, to make a mouth. And then uh, it looks like a bloody coconut with eyes.
0: Yeah, I see what you're saying. I mean, but to me, it looked like a, a muppet. You know, like Elmo muppet, or somebody.
1: Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I agree, I agree. Especially the mouth. So the Muppets, were basically they have these big mouths that are like on a little. <laughs> little velvet hinge or whatever um, you know they go flapping down and up when they talk and stuff yeah okay I can see the Muppet thing
0: yeah and on that, anyway. on that last panel or the last page uh, what do you think of that picture of Chekhov he's standing or sitting right to the right of Kirk
1: uh, who doesn't look like Kirk
0: yeah he doesn't look like Kirk and that guy doesn't look anything like Chekhov I mean he looks like a 12 year old boy yeah that's
1: true yeah, he does look like a kid. <laughs> Good point.
0: And then that last panel, the the one where he's telling off that his punishment's going to be to talk about the the illusion girl. I mean, right. what's up with that picture, anyways? Because it has the Enterprise, has the alien ship, and then it's like all purple, spacey, squiggly lines all over the place. It's just Uh, it's, it's just
1: it's it's just unnecessarily artsy, arty, farty stuff. Yeah. Artsy fartsy stuff.
0: See, at first I thought, well, maybe that was like the illusion was dissipating because the they stopped projecting it. But, but I think you're right. I don't think it's supposed to be anything other than an artful way of doing it.
1: Right. So, um, overall, demerits on Mr. Spiegel's uh, art, artistry. Sorry if for some somehow you could be listening, uh, Mr. Spiegel. Sorry. I, just our opinion
0: right Yep, and I don't know who he is but I mean he got billing on the cover as you know illustrated by Dan Spiegel
1: oh yeah Yeah, he he sounds like a star I mean it sounds like Dan Spiegel is is a name that would make you want to buy the comic
0: right but uh, I don't know who he is but I'm maybe not the expert on every illustrator out in the comic world I thought you knew them all I don't Sorry. At least the famous ones. Uh, not really. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, another thing that was kind of annoying is as they were heading towards that asteroid, that big asteroid. Right. Um, I mean, the panels were like, like three, two or three or whatever panels are showing the thing getting bigger and bigger in your in the view screen, um, and they're supposed to be, you know, heading at high warp speed. Um, and so you see this thing, so it's like it's like taking up the view screen practically, the whole thing, because it's supposedly getting that close. And then it says, we're going warp, but we're going to hit it in eight minutes. We've only got eight minutes. And it's like, ugh. I mean, even, even if they were at maximum magnification on the view screen or something, it's like, oh, it's just, oh, it just seems so dumb to me. Yeah, because even if uh, they were at
0: warp one, they would be able to... You know, I get from the sun to earth in four minutes. Oh, is is that what that would take? Yeah, because in warp one, the speed of light, and then isn't that how long it takes... Sun, I don't remember. ...the sun to get to <laughs> I, earth. I, I, I do remember this much,
1: though, in my childhood reading, that as you go to the different uh, warps, or at least I had read this. Maybe you'll disagree with me because you might have in the past, but it's like an exponential curve. So... It isn't like what one Warp 2 is double Warp 1. It's a lot faster. Yeah. And then as you go up the line, it's like a, it's like an exponential curve.
0: Nope. That's how uh, I remember it as well.
1: Okay. Good. So um, so it's like... Uh, I mean, I, I know what they're doing. They're, they're, they're trying to give you the idea that, um, you know, we're getting closer. Oh, my God. We're getting closer. But it's like, when you think about it, it's like, well, oh, it's kind of dumb.
0: Yeah. I agree with you. And another
1: thing is... If I may may assert another opinion that's what I'm here for. Kirk lets the illusionists go and and they almost destroyed the enterprise killed almost killed everybody on board. Um, God knows what they've done in the past to people to keep their secret. I mean these guys are I mean, seem like almost as big a threat as the Telosians were, and the Telosians were. You know, isolated, you know, ooh, Forbidden Planet, you know, whatever, by the Federation. Yeah, it was the only... And Kirk just lets them go.
0: Yeah, it was the only death sentence left was right. for them to, you know, if anybody went to Telos four Telos for. Tell us for right.
1: I, I think I would be wanting to know where these guys are located, you know, in case I got to come and nuke them someday. <laughs>
0: Ah, uh, sorry. Instead but... of just a little Well you should be more sociable and you would realize that we're just wanting to be friends. Go, yeah. go on your way. <laughs>
1: exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you.
1: Very generous, Kirk, but
0: I don't know. Yeah. Now Sulu or uh, Chekhov gets into another fist fight in this one. This time yes, he does. with Sulu. Yes. And uh he, he holds his own. Right. He's doing pretty well until he gets stunned.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So and they, they, so they had a multi-panel, uh, kind of, uh, just the two peoples, you know, drawing uh, Chekhov and Sulu. Almost no background as they're fighting each other and making these
0: amazing uh, fighting moves. Yeah, they look like something from The Matrix or something, because Sulu, <laughs> yeah. like, kicks at him, and and Chekhov's able to lean back and dodge it.
1: Right. Now, you'd expect Sulu to be... Um, to be a good fighter because after all, he's Asian, so of course he must know so the karate and stuff.
0: I think that's uh, I think that's racist, dude. <laughs> <laughs> what? Wait a minute. But he's Russian, yeah. so why is he not drunk on vodka?
1: <laughs> exactly my
0: point. <laughs> real... He shouldn't be able to hold his own. <laughs> it's a really bad point, <laughs>
1: I mean, unless he had a a Molotov cocktail or an AK-47 or something. Come on. No, anyway. it,
0: the fight scene was probably one of the one of the best parts I thought in the in the whole comic. And then you know yeah, it was drawn well. Yeah, the fight scene with Spock and Chekhov, I didn't think was nearly as good. It's kind of anti-comedy. Well, yeah.
1: Well, that was kind of quick though. Yeah,
0: but uh, that's it for that one for me. Um, I hate that I don't have more to say because I mean it is, you know, Walter Konings comic book debut.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, but... he's
0: written other he wrote an episode of Star Trek the animated series, so it's not yeah. it's not his first writing credit in Star Trek, but right. It is his first comic book. But he's not the only guy to to write comic books uh that have been actors. Uh do you want to you want me to go through the list of who else has written? There's about six of them comic books. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. So George Takei wrote um, Star Trek uh, Volume Two Annual Number One. So hmm. he wrote he wrote one. Uh, cool. John Delancey wrote Star ah. Trek: The Next Generation Annual Number One. Oh. Cool. Uh, Mark Leonard wrote uh, oh. an. Uh, <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> Mark Leonard. Okay. Yeah, he wrote an issue of uh, Star Trek: Deep Space Nine for Malibu Comics called huh. uh, Blood and Honor. Um, I forget his first name Aaron maybe Aaron Eisenberg uh, the guy who played Nog on Deep Space Nine. Oh, really yeah he wrote a Deep Space Nine um, comic uh, again by Malibu called uh, The Rules of Diplomacy okay and then and I know Will Wheaton and then Will, we- Will Wheaton Will Wheaton was the last one he's written he's written two uh, from the uh, manga series right oh Will oh Wheaton. and then the last one Shatner the Shat, because he wrote uh, *Ashes of Eden*, which was made oh, that's... which was made into a comic.
1: Oh, really? Oh, okay. Because yeah. I knew there was a novel; I didn't know it was a comic book. Hmm.
0: Yeah, Well, that was a that was a huge thing when that one, when that novel came out because there was a there was a comic book, there was an audio book. I mean, they were good lord. They were pimping that one. Big time. Big time. <laughs> so, anyways, so. Walter Coning's not the only star to, to to do some Star Trek comics.
1: Excellent research there,
0: Donnie. Yeah, I did not know that. Now uh, out of all those with the exception of the Will Wheaton ones, I did track them down years ago cuz I wanted to read them. Mhm. But I didn't know about the the manga ones until we started right. this podcast. And actually, that Will
1: Wheaton uh, story was pretty good. I like
0: that one. Yeah, we only read one the art of war. He wrote another one that I haven't read yet called uh, Kura Te Ipsen. So we'll get to it eventually someday. Cool. All right, so uh, anything else for this this issue? No. All right, so real quick, uh, we have October of 1980 and October of 1985, so we're going to kind of go through what else was going on. So, in October of nineteen eighty, when the Star Trek Marvel series number seven came out, a novel came out called Star Trek: The Galactic Whirlpool. Have you ever heard of that? Never heard of it. It's by David Gerald. Oh, hmm. David Gerald. Yeah. So basically, what it is is that uh, <clears throat> you know when he put in his synopsis for the uh, Trouble with Tribbles, right? He he had some other synopsis. Uh, some other story outlines. One of them was Bandai, which ultimately became that comic book that we read. Um, the other one was called Tomorrow Was Yesterday. And in it, it was kind of like a... They find a, a colony of, of humans that believe that Earth is uh, a myth and that you know it's more mythology than than real. And I guess they have to somehow get these people back to Earth kind of thing. It sounded a lot like Battlestar Galactica when when I read the little uh, outline for the Tomorrow Was Yesterday. So basically what happened is that uh, producer Glenn L. Kuhn uh, didn't want to do that Tomorrow Was Yesterday in 1966. And then in 1980 um, Phantom... No wait, hold on. Pocket Books was doing the novel series and they, they asked David Gerald to to do the novel, uh, a novelization based on his original outline. So sounds interesting. I'm actually going to track this this one down and read it. Cool. But uh, it does sound interesting. Yeah, yeah, it does sound interesting because it's like you know they're having to get somebody, they're having to meet with pe- humans that are so far removed from what's been going on that they don't know anything about the Federation and things like that. So. Could be interesting. Uh, October 1985, uh, nothing came out with the exception of the comic book that we just read and uh, Annual Number 1 all those years ago, which we reviewed a couple of weeks ago. Hmm. And that's it for for what was going on. Cool. So next week we will be reviewing Star Trek, the uh, comic strip, the fifth and sixth one of those. And uh, we'll jump to Star Trek Untold Voyages by Marvel, uh, issue number two. So that should be a good one. I've liked that Untold Voyages a lot so far. Yes, me too. So until then, hope everybody enjoyed the show. Yes, and looking forward to uh,
1: next week's as we continue on in the year of 2011. Bye, everybody. See you later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at star-t-comic-book-review at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, wwwsaint comic book Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at First Name ST Comic Second Name Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.